What's going on, everybody? This be your boy DJ Anonymous with Sports Biz Music, the podcast episode twenty nine, and I got a special guest. I got my second artist, not artist as in music, but artist like as in art. Um, Christopher Labora. Labora. He's a studio manager at El Fresco. Um, this is El Fresco. Right? El Fresco Studio, Little Havana. In Little Havana, good old Little Havana, but before we get into details, um, you could, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're I'm good. sorry, y'all, it's just, it's, what time is this, like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock? Well, yeah, we missed 420 by just a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's been a long day, but um, give a brief um, introduction, brief history um, about yourself. Show. Uh, well, shout out to everyone, thanks for tuning in. So again, my name is Christopher Labora, I was born and raised here in Little Havana, um, and I'm a graffiti artist by trade. That's what I started off doing over a decade ago. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a, a really well-known school in the area. I studied graphic design. And from there, I was able to get a scholarship to go to school where I studied fine art. So I'm classically trained in design and art. But um, a lot of what I do today uh, is almost art advising, art consultancy. Um, I tell a lot of people that uh, what we do here at El Fresco is we're basically general contractors for art. No project too big, no project too small. If it involves art and design, everything from websites to murals to everything in between, we do it. Um, so we really pride ourselves on uh, our community involvement. We host a lot of workshops out here. The studio is also a project space, so we invite other artists to come by, show their work, work alongside us. And upcoming soon, we're going to be having a collaboration with Most Vile, with PATH, Preserving, Archiving, and Teaching Hip-Hop. You can check them out on pathtohiphop.org. We're going to be doing a block party, so keep it locked. I'll give you all the details about that as it comes to fruition. But, uh, yeah, that's basically in a nutshell what we do out here. Yeah, that's what's up. Shout out to Most Vile. Shout out to Andres and all them boys out there. You know, both of y'all working hard, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially for the city. Um, as I like to ask, you know, all my, my guests on the show is... Um, where did, where did the love of art, you know, all started? Mm. Well, um, I think that uh, a lot of artists will say this much, right? Music goes hand in hand with making visual art. Mm -hmm. I think dance is really important. I think that all of the artistic elements in which we express ourselves have an overlap. I've met people who are ballerinas and then they're MMA fighters. Those mm -hmm. two sort of mesh together and create this harmonious balance. And for me, it started with piano. I, uh, my parents, off rip as a kid, said, you got to learn a musical instrument. I picked the piano for a year. I learned my melodies. I learned my harmonic scales. I learned the basics of music theory. From there, I jumped to the guitar. And then from there, I went to trumpet. For a while, I was a jazz musician as a young kid. And one of my boys who was in the band with me, his older brother did graffiti. And um, I just, I just be, fell in love with it. You know what they say, the, the art chooses you. So some kids, you know, the oboe chooses them, the tuba chooses them. In my case, you know, the paintbrush, the spray can, it chose me. I picked it up, I started tagging, and I never looked back. Um, and from that day on, I just always tried to find teachers, mentors, education, because it's all about yeah. self-education. Um, and that's it. I mean, it's just perseverance and self-education. So basically, long story short, started tagging because one of my homeboys, older brothers, did it, thought he was cool, and then, you know, it turned into a full-time career, and now that's that's how I make my bread. So what does y'all tag it? Because I know whenever the train go by, there's a lot of tags, so you have, one of your projects had to be 
on the train, right? Absolutely. Um, some of the early days, so I used to write Prisma. Some of the early days, you know, obviously uh, no longer condone any illegal activities and any young bucks out there listening. You know, we live in a day and age where you don't got to get yourself pinched to earn your stripes. You can do it a legal way. So that being said, you know, we can talk hypotheticals about yeah. situations that I heard stories from from my boys in the day. But um, clean trains is what um, what they're called. That's the that's the, the word for an untouched piece of metal that's rolling in a city. Um, obviously, when we think of modern graffiti, you think of New York City. Mm-hmm. You think of the subway lines, and that's going all city. If you hit every single line from Bronx to Staten Island, Queens in between, Manhattan, of course, if you had all those lines and those trains were rolling throughout the whole city, you were going all city. So if you don't have trains, you have shit. Um, and that's, that's really how most people grew up in the graph game. In Miami, we don't got trains, though. Mm-hmm. So our scene developed a little differently. How mm-hmm. our scene came up is after the New York scene already established itself, you had cats, a lot of Boricuas, a lot of Puerto Rican, right, cats? You had, obviously, some, some black cats that were from New York. They got in trouble. They got mm-hmm. pinched. Their parents said, you know what? You're moving with your aunt, uncle down in Miami. Mm-hmm. And so kids got shipped down here, and they brought with them, you know, linoleum masks and started breaking. They brought with them the boom boxes and started wrapping and they brought with them, you know, the, the tools and technique for street art and graffiti. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what we had is a lot of abandoned buildings. We were plagued by hurricanes out here, right? Yeah. So after Hurricane Andrew in 92, you have a bunch of empty buildings. And that was really the, the boom, if you will, of, of Miami graffiti. Mm-hmm. And everyone is running into these abandoned buildings and painting masterpieces. They're, they're having a good time. They're meeting other writers. It's an exchange of information. Mm-hmm. And so we got an interesting colloquial term in Miami for those type of buildings we call them penits, yeah. P-E-N-I-T. That's short for penitentiary, because the first one they ever found, it looked like a penitentiary. So people was like, oh, we're going to the penitentiary to paint. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it just got shortened to the penit. Yeah. And so now we just call any spot that's a bando that people paint in, an abandoned yard, we call that a penit. Mm-hmm. So I cut my teeth uh, you know, at the Marina Pennant, the Marine Stadium over on Key Biscayne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone loves it. It was the best place to paint as a young buck. Um, I heard they, they um they cleaning it up. They mm-hmm. trying to bring it, bring it back. Cause I didn't even know um, it used to be like they used to have like boat shows back in the day. I didn't even know the the Rolling Stones performed yeah. there. My parents saw like uh, some of their first concerts together when they were dating. Mm-hmm. They roll up a bar just saw like Jimmy Buffett play. They would do boat races. They do the yeah. regattas still, and they also do the rowing competitions. Yeah. But um. That spot is actually now a historic landmark, and I forget the architect's name, but he's really famous because it's the longest cantilever-style cement um, roof ceiling in the world, or like, and maybe it's in the, the Americas. But basically, if you look at it, it's just a giant slab of concrete that goes over towards the bay and has no supporting structures. And the fact that it has never collapsed and hasn't had any deal is wild. And that's what they said after the hurricane. Oh, it's it's unsafe. And he told him, he said, there's no way the hurricane made it unsafe. It's still standing. They took a look at it and like, the shit's good. So now um, it's it's being preserved. They're still debating what to do. It's actually... Uh, a, a, a hot spot for a lot of politicians are going to turn it into a park or are they going to do more boating there or are they going to leave it as a preserve to allow people to swim and you know use kayaks and non-motor vessels um, what I do know is that it's, 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 it's cordoned off you can't paint it anymore there's been a few people who've gotten permission from the city to mm-hmm. paint but as far as it being like a safe haven and like a place where it was popping it's dead and most cats don't even ride out anymore I drive by it and I think about the good memories mm-hmm. but honestly it has a sore spot because 
I knew from the beginning it should have been something for the community. It still should be for the community. And um, that's how I feel it too. Like it's because you see, um, you know, Miami is growing. You know, it's just you know I like to say Miami is trying to become the next you know New York or even Las Vegas um, in that matter. But you need. I feel like we still need you know certain areas to you know keep it up to be like you know. I used to go here when I was younger. Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Carol Mart. Mm-hmm. Up in Carol City, um, y'all was, everybody knew about, you know, Carol Mart. And, like, when that building got told down, because I think, yeah, they finna made, like, a new plaza up there. Everyone, you know, my age and up, like, we was like, damn, like, you know, that was like a childhood memory that was just gone, you know, going away. And, like, same thing, you know, with the Orange Bowl, you know, same thing with, um, Little way, way before my time, but like the old baseball park over the, where the um, cause a lot of people don't know Miami had te- a team before them on Florida Marlins. So, but like I remember the um, my my grandfather and them used to always tell me that the Brooklyn Dodgers to come down and stuff like that, the Cardinals and, and the Phillies all of them should come down for like spring training, and when that got tore down, that was something else that was you know historical that left Miami, you know what I'm saying? Like so it's just like I like to I like the way that Miami is, is, is coming up, but at the same time like you should still keep like all the historical spots, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's crazy. It's true, it's true. Miami has a love affair with uh creative destruction. Mm-hmm. We're quick to erase the previous presence. I mean if it weren't for historians on the beach you know, rich real estate investors would have long torn down Lincoln Road and all the Art Deco buildings. Now, now everyone is like, that's why you go to the beach. You go to Ocean Drive to look at the beautiful old hotels. But um, it's funny, uh, one of my mentors and a local historian, Dr. Paul George, he's over at um, the History Miami Museum in downtown. Mm-hmm. He does walking tours throughout Miami and um, he'll tell you everything that you've ever wanted to know about every piece, every inch of land out here. He'll point at something and be like, that's where Julia Tuttle was, and that's where the Brickles were, and he'll tell you all about it. And what's wild to me is that people like to think Miami's a new city. They like to think, like, oh, it's, it's only 100 years old or 200 years old or whatever, and it, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's been 4,000 years of continuous inhabitation by people, mm-hmm. from the Tequesta Indians to the Miccosukean Seminoles and the runaway slaves that came down in the 1560s, 1700s. So obviously the Spanish. I mean, at one point, even the pirates used to stop over here yeah. and, and, get, and re-up on fresh water. That's why it's clear water. That's why the names of these places are that what they are. The Miami River used to be lush with wildlife. Mm-hmm. There used to be waterfalls. You could drink from it. So it's, it's wild to me mm-hmm. that uh, we're more interested in just saying, out with the old and let's put yeah. some new shit. And it's all about the money. It is all about the money. And, and it's sad. Like, you know, I go to... Atlanta, you know, you go to New Orleans, uh, I've been to Memphis, like, they still have all them historical, you know, places, you know, where, you know, good or bad things happened, but they kept it up just to have people remember, you know, the, the, the stuff that happened within the city and the history of it, you know, even in certain parts of Florida, like, I know uh, St. Augustine, you know, uh, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Places outside Orlando, Key West, you know, they have, they still have certain monuments that's that's up. So people, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, like kids growing up, they could be like, wow, like this happened here. Because 
even now, I'm only 26 years old, but I'm getting older. Um, kids, I would say certain stuff to kids that's that's coming up, and they won't believe me, but they have to look up. You know, thank God for technology for that. Like, they could look up, like, the old pictures and things like that, but it'll be even more, it'll be 10 times more satisfying to, to actually bring the kids to to these places, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you're right. A lot of people think Miami is just this new city. Like, Miami has so much history, especially, you know, from the from the Indian tribes, you know, like, you know, you look at places like Opelika, like, all that stuff was swamps, you know what I'm saying? You look at Miami Lakes, you know, look at uh, Amelia, Amelia Earnhardt, like, she, um, I think she, well, she flew from her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Over at Amelia Earnhardt Park. Yeah, you know, so it's just, like, I understand, you know, people coming from California, you know, and New York and stuff like that, you know, they, they very prideful of their city and things like that. But I'm like, you know, Miami has a great history, you know, like just an overall culture. And it's just kind of just, it's, it's sad. <laughs> it needs to be tapped in. There's so much lost potential, you know, people just leaving, you know, figuratively leaving so much money on the table in the city. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look at the art scene, the Miami Herald, the newspapers, we don't even have a full-time art critic. You know what I'm no. saying? Like, not even one cat who's just devoted to seeing what's going on. But why you think that? Well, I mean, Miami's always been a little slow to catch on to the trends, mm-hmm. right? I mean, look at the culinary scene. We're getting, like, Pokey and stuff like that. Pokey has been popping in Philly and New York and Washington, D.C. for, like, 20 yeah. years. We're starting to see Korean food come up. Yeah. We're starting to see so much... New- I mean, even look at beer. When yeah. we were Jits, you'd see five beers at the corner mm-hmm. store. Bud Bud Light, Miller, Heineken... And, like, maybe Corona or, like, you know, some miscellaneous. But that's it. Now you got every different type of craft beer. I feel like that's a great metaphor for how the city has caught on. But it's slow. It's 10 years, 20 years removed. Mm -hmm. We just got the PAM, the Perez Art Miami Museum. That's a great addition to the community. And I'm not saying it's a dollar short and a day late, but we need more. We need more money for those endeavors. I mean, look at the Arch Center. When Adrian Arch opened that up. I mean, people were hesitant to go see an orchestra. When's the last time you talked to a Miami cat born and raised and said, yeah, dog, when's the last time you saw the Philharmonic over at the Miami Arts Center? No one's going to do it. When's the last time you've seen a ballet? Ballet? I never. Opera? So just those things that are starting to happen now are always slow. My philosophy on the matter is education. Miami's always been slacking. I mean, if you just look at the statistics... It's sad, but it's true. One out of ten individuals has a graduate degree or a a secondary, post-secondary degree. I think it's like a little better on the undergrad. I think it's like one out of eight. But if you compare that to Boston, one out of four. Or you compare it to New York, one out of three. Like, it's not even even close. Mm. So you have people that are just ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant, like, disrespectfully. I just Mm. mean in the literal sense of the word, they just do not know. Yeah, and they can't be held against yeah, that for it. Yeah, I would say, like, in, in, like, ignorant, but also, like, you know, they're not open-minded. You know, like, for me, like, I'm going to school for my second master's. And, you know, I was raised in a, in a household where, you know, anything that you do, you know, you chase it, you do it, but never forget education. Like, education, you don't have to... Just necessarily like going to college and things like that. I mean, I, I, I always tell people to go, you know, I advise them, but like if you want to pick up a trade, you know, um, even with me, I said after I've done with this NBA 
Um, I want to, you know, get some certificates, you know, under my belt. Like, just not just to get it to get it, but also to learn. You know, you want to always have that mindset of learning, like, new things. Like, you don't have to just learn stuff within your career, you know, like, try to learn stuff outside of your career. Because for me, you know, I have no choice but to learn different things, you know, in the, in the career path that, you know, I want to get into as far as, like, marketing agency and also a sports and entertainment agency. You know, even with the podcast, I'm learning new stuff from everybody that come in, you know, even from yourself, you know, especially when it comes to the art. So it's just like, you know, as as a city, you know, we have to just be more open-minded, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, we it, it's getting better little by little, but it, it needs to, you know, improve even more, you know? That's why I stay. A lot of cats that you meet in Miami, if they're born and raised here, there's two categories. I mean, obviously, you know, some outliers, but either you love the city, mm-hmm. you know, and you'll shit talk it or whatever, but you love the city, you're not going anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to die in South Beach type of shit. Or you're like, fuck that place, I'm never going back. Mm-hmm. And especially cats who have the benefit of being able to get an education, generally, I find them going into that latter route. They say, you know what, I got my degree, I'm going to Philly, I'm going to New York, I'm going to D.C., I'm going to Atlanta. Miami's too backwards. There's no reason for me to be there anymore. I'm going to go make my bread somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's a real shame because, like we're saying, Miami has a world of opportunity. The weather's fantastic. There's so much money coming from Latin America. Mm -hmm. I mean, people don't even know what to do with it. So individuals like ourselves who are willing to capitalize on that momentum and seize the opportunities to broaden our horizons, I mean, you know, better for us, but I would honestly like to see as many cats get uplifted as well. Yeah. And that's why I'm a big proponent of saying, you know, come through, get, do an apprenticeship, slide through, do an internship. Mm-hmm. Any way I can help facilitate your knowledge, I will do that. Mm-hmm. But it's on you and it behooves you to take that initiative and do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So YouTube, all these other things, you know, we, we just started to have that as we were coming up. Yeah. And it opened up the horizons. But at the same time, a lot of what I learned was just showing up and meeting cats who had been yeah. doing it longer than me and they were willing to take me on because that is the culture that hip-hop has always embodied. Mentorship. It's a pecking order. It's a little archaic in that sense, but you got to pay your dues and you got to learn from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And if you fuck around and you bite people's shit and you're just a toy, then that's how you're going to be relegated for the rest of your yeah. life. But if you stick around long enough, even if your style is whack and no one even fucks with how you paint, mm-hmm. you stick around long enough, you show up to all of the events, cause showing up is 90% of it, mm-hmm. You know, you get accepted into the scene and you're part of it. And your contribution is just as valid as someone who's a multi-million dollar artist. Exactly. So, you said that you got in, into graffiti first. Um, and you did, you, you did a lot of tagging. So, what, what happened after that, after that experience? Well, I had the misfortune of um, learning early on that, it, it, you know, the legal ramifications of going out and painting uh, can be too hefty. So... I was just lucky enough to get linked up with Crave over here at Alfresco, Crave Art. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you know, you can paint these walls inside and you can paint these walls for people that will encourage you to do it, that will be happy to have it, and they might even pay you a little bit of money. So I've always been a kind of cat that if it makes money, it makes sense. Yeah. So I've always been hustling. As soon as I turned 14, I was a bag boy at Publix. As soon as I could hold a job, I've always, I've never not worked. That's just, yeah. and now I'm self-employed, so the hustle is you kill what you eat. So um, another big mentor of mine, Brimstone127, he's the founder of Path to Hip Hop. 
he uh, he really also pushed me and invited me to some of my first gigs, uh, and he just showed me that there was a way to do it. And I, once I got bit by the bug, that was it. So that's pretty much why I continue doing the legal route mm-hmm. versus still bombing. Um, a lot of my homies still bomb; they still go out every night, mm-hmm. and I have you know nothing but respect for them, and I wish them the best. But um, there's you know there's only so far that that'll take you. I mean, there's some lifers out there. You meet some cats who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, old enough to be our dad or even our granddads. And they're still painting. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, that's cool, but uh, you can't pay the bills and you, you can't feed your kids off of, you know, tickets and uh, exactly. court appearances. It's so. always, always about progressing and just learning. Exactly. So, it's <laughs> like you, what you said, like, people still, like, for example, like, me as a DJ, right, I've been DJing since I was 15 years old, um, you know, to this day, you know, I'm still looked at as a DJ, but for me, I'm look, I, I look myself as more of a businessman, and uh, I still want to create music as far as, like, mistakes, because that's what, you know, I came in that era, you know, with drama and all them. I came in that time where I wanted to be a DJ because of the mistakes, you know, and um, I thought as, as I got older, but I kept telling myself is that, I don't want to DJ forever. I want to be that. I want to stop being a producer as far as like help producing um, like albums and like manage you know artists. You know, I always had that mindset like you know I want to just help someone mold them. You know, I feel like for me that's always been like a a fun thing to do and also a, a, I would say like a blessing just to mold someone or, or something and just see it blossom, you know, and see all the benefits from it, you know, because, you know, I, I tell, like, like, all these up-and-coming, you know, managers and, and agents and PR and stuff like that, I tell them, like, you know, it's not about the money. The money going to come. There's a lot of money behind, especially being someone behind the scenes, but the, the beauty is to see your work or see a client that you work with just grow. You know what I'm saying? Because you're going to grow with them. You know, the more, the more they grow, the more money, meaning the more clients that's going to come in. You know, and the more that, you know, you're going to see the evolution. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, man. So, uh, you, 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 uh, you've been to college, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to uh, undergraduate in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. I have a Bachelor of Arts, and um, technically, I guess it's, it's fine art is the degree. Yeah. But, I mean, man... Mm-hmm. Just real quick, going on college and how you're saying you're an advocate for it. Yeah. Every time I come, I came back when I was in college and chilled with my homies, it was unfortunate to see that a lot of them were stuck in the same old ways, mm-hmm. but a lot of them were like, damn, I did not realize how fun college is. That's like 90% of it is exactly. legit just like... Being out on your own, meeting new people, having fun experiences. Obviously, we can't delve on, you know, on air how fun it can be, but, I mean, you get to learn literally whatever you want because nobody cares. That's the yeah. other thing is that as long as you go, all anyone sees of you if you went to college is like, all right, that person is dedicated enough that throughout everything on the sideline that happens in college, they still finished. Mm-hmm. That's all it says. It's just like you showed up. You're a hard worker. If I hire you, you you're not going to quit mm-hmm. in a week because you got your degree and not everyone gets a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, that's why I did art because it's like no one's going to ask me afterwards what my degree is. If I got to get a job, you know, if I go and get a law degree, if I go and get an MBA, 
It, it doesn't matter what the prereq is. Unless you're going to be a doctor, an engineer, yeah. have fun. Study creative writing, study history, philosophy. You know, most importantly, just don't take out loans. Mm-hmm. As people don't realize, we have great, especially Miami, great community college, the best community college in the country, Miami-Dade. Mm-hmm. Do two years there for a few stacks, boom, you could transfer to Harvard. Yeah. You could go anywhere. And when you get to Harvard, anyone will give you a loan because the likelihood that you'll pay it off is pretty high. Mm-hmm. So I'm always a big advocate of public school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to Broward College my first two years. Then I went to FIU. Then I got my first master's, my MS from St. Thomas. And then now I'm in Nova. And I see the difference. You know, I mean, I've been in private school my whole life, like from fourth grade to high school. So I already know what it is. But I always tell people, like, if you get loans like myself, like, with me, like, we all, like, I owe people, you know, at the end of the day, but I always had a plan where when, when whatever that I do, it generates a lot of money. I'm talking about a lot of money. Like, the first thing I want to do is pay off my loans, pay off anything so that one. One, my credit score could go up because a lot of people don't realize that your credit score needs to be high in order for you to get a house easily without paying so much money. Um, you know, different stuff for your business, you know. Um, and just people could just trust you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and once you pay that off, then, it'd be, you know, it'd be all easy because I don't like the, like, I don't like the fact that when people do go to school and they finish and they get this great job, they don't they don't pay attention to the things they have to, you know, pay off. You know, you ain't gotta say pay off right away, but at least pay it to a to a uh, point where you can you get so used to it, it get paid off quicker than five to 10, 20, 30 years and stuff like that. Cause you know as as long as you don't pay that like loan, like the the percentage is gonna go up. You know what I'm saying? So I always had that advice for people who who just like made all this money. Cause I know when I do, I already know what I'm gonna do with it. I'm gonna pay off and invest. You know, and that's the you know that's one of the smart things to do. You know? Precisely. So um, how how was the experience in you know, upstate New York? The toughest thing was um, adjusting to the climate, you know, being a Miami boy. Um, it was cold up there. The cold is, is not even the worst part. It's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. But it's the lack of sun. Oh, okay. And um, upstate New York is actually the cloudiest section of the United States. Cloudier than Alaska, cloudier than North Dakota, cloudier than Minnesota. So I think, like, the average, like, sun was something like 70 days out of the year was sunny. But those were all summer. So mm-hmm. we weren't in school. So anytime that we got up there, mm-hmm. you know, the weather went down right away. And um, then it was just no sun. So when you're, like, in the middle of January and it's negative 30 outside, you got to put on, like, four layers. And then on top of that, like, the sun rises at 10 a.m. and then sets at 3 p.m. Yeah. Then you're, you're, just, you're just fucked. Yeah. So I got, I got mad depressed out there. Uh, you know, I was, uh, but I did the nice thing about being out there by nobody, no big cities. It was like five hours to New York City anytime mm-hmm. we wanted to go. So art, art, art. I had a nice studio. I had the benefit of finding a, a really nice landlord off campus. I opened up um, a project space there called the Plush Factory. 
And it, we called it that because it was an old plush factory. They used to make the lining for chairs. Yeah. They had like a, con- a contract with uh, Ford to do all of the plush for their Model Ts. They used to do the plush and lining for coffins. So it was a really lucrative business. And it like employed thousands of people and they had huge factories and had all these dormitories for the employees. And it paid really, really well. Um, and that was the last building that was intact. It was like the, the Walmart of this like industrial city. It was like the spot where you go to get your meat, get your shoes, whatever. Anything you needed, you got it there. So it was really good condition. The landlord gave us like a few thousand square feet. And me and my partner at the time, him and I um, just just went balls to the walls big as we could. He was a sculptor mm-hmm. and I was the graffiti artist. So anytime you know he would fabricate something, I'd come and I'd you know, put a little paint on it. And he was sort of like the crazy genius of the two of us, always mm-hmm. trying to come up with something. Like we had this uh, foghorn that came off of a Japanese whaling ship. And so this thing must have been like 70, 80 years old, and it was telescopic. So you'd open it up, it's three feet long, and you'd crank it, and it had a sound radius of four miles. Mm-hmm. So if you put it all the way up and you press it, like it would be deafening. Yeah. So we would make weird sculptures out of that kind of stuff. So being up in New York alone and with other serious artists, and the fact that the school was private, so it had a lot of money to give to artists to experiment, allowed me to really grow and to develop my own style and most importantly, build uh, that diligence. Because it's all about compliance as a self-employed artist. It, whether or not you make art every day is irrelevant, but you better show up to the studio. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just to sweep the floor, take out the trash. You need to be in the studio daily. Mm-hmm. And so being in Upstate taught me that no matter what is going on, for my mental health, obviously now for my financial well-being, it's imperative that I hit the studio daily. And that's probably the biggest advice I give to anyone who's serious about anything. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're selling zippers door-to-door or yeah. you're a welder or you're uh, you know, a self-produced artist trying to go independent. You've got to go to the studio, whatever that means to you, to your office every day. You've got to have a compliant schedule that you stick to and that you live by. That's what's up, man. That's, a, that's, that's, that's really a great advice for up-and-coming artists because, you know, you know how you look up on the internet, especially you know when they say like the degrees in art and all that stuff is is, is one of the worst degrees. I kind of I disagree. I feel like ain't no ain't no such thing as a worst degree because especially in this climate, you know, as long as you go to school, but you you have that knowledge of what you of what you want to do. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. You know, like you have to. Work your paper, cause it's on your paper. You know, like it's it's it's, it's something special now. It's a great accomplishment, but what you gonna do with it? You know, it's like a sneakerhead, for example, like a Jordan. Like I don't know a Jordan, the Jordan Fives, whatever. There's always a story behind that that particular shoe. You know, like you you ain't just get it just to get it. Like you know, you probably. Close a deal one day on the, or you probably your first date with your wife on that, you know, with that shoe or something like that. It's always, it's always like when it comes to degrees, it's always about how you, what did you, what did you do with it? How you, you know, how did you market yourself? You know, with the, you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, you your own person, you know, like, yeah, you have all these escalades, but they gonna look at you, you know, from a person standpoint, as far as like he did all this stuff because he's very ambitious and he's a hard worker, you know what I'm saying? So they're gonna look at that. Any company, any partnership, you know, so yeah man, like um and the reason why I asked that about the 
upstate New York is because I had a best friend that went to school in Minnesota. You know, he's from here. And uh, he said he didn't really like it. But he, it was a great experience because, you know, he met different people. And uh, I'm pretty sure he still talks to these people, you know, to this day. Like, it's like the... Like, going back to, to the school thing, like, for me, I'm the same way. Like, I love college because I meet new people. I be telling people all the time, it's not just about, you know, going to school and being the books, but it's also, like, just networking, and you'll be surprised. Like, you know, even me as an undergrad, like, I met people like yourself that own, like, a store or was a manager here, and there was, like, my age or even a little bit um, younger or a little bit older. I'm like, you my age and stuff like that. So it's always a great networking build. I always say that like school is like the easiest way to network. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like, you don't, how I can say this? Like they say that you always should go to like these networking events, you know, or these expeditions or whatever they call it. And I'm like, you know, why do that when you in school? It's like a thousands and thousands of people, even the professors, they cool, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, man, like, <laughs> you gotta tell the people, man, you gotta, you gotta continue to go to school, you know? Um, so, after college, what was what was next after that, after you was done with, with school? Um, I took a little time to travel, because that's also really, really important. If you if you have the benefit to, to go to school, then you should also take the time to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, big proponent of what you know is known as gap years. After you get out of high school, take a year off, do something city year, do the Peace Corps, give back yeah. to the community. Um, as long as you're doing something, just don't sit on your ass being a stony baloney. That's mm-hmm. that's no good. There's a time and place for that, no doubt about it. But mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta push through. Um, so in my particular case, I tried to make a go of it in Philly. I worked a little bit on a studio out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was rough, man. Uh, it's it's hard to try to break through in a city that has hundreds of years of history mm-hmm. it's a really resilient city and it's really well cultured and I had a great time but it um you know left me feeling like I was still lacking something in my life and you know I'm a family man I had to be close to my parents mm-hmm. I wanted to be you know back in my hometown so Miami was you know the ultimate inevitable destination it was always going to be at the end of the day where I went back so um I pretty much transitioned right back here and Luckily, El Fresco had been, you know, working here for the past decade, pretty much. Um, it was a, it was an easy, seamless transition because Crave and I understand each other's workflow. I mean, he literally trained me as his hand. And, uh, you know, I, I think of it like uh, Renaissance painters. They had these workshops. They had, you know, the masters. And then they had the people that worked underneath. Mm-hmm. And eventually those people worked underneath. They became the masters and they brought other people up. Mm-hmm. So it's just that cyclical nature. And so that's you know, how I ended up back here in Miami. It was the place to be, to keep working on what I did before, and to be back in a community that I wanted to, you know, contribute to. Mm-hmm. So, give me like a, um, like El Fresco. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, what's, what's, what's like the, the, I guess the company's like goal, all overall goal? I think our goal is to be, uh, a collaborative, artist-run, artist-owned, artist-operated, you know, hub. You know, like, 
Like I'm, I, I could see it being as grand as something like a like a think space, bringing in people, residencies, having people live in the studio or live nearby and pay them to do art. But um, I mean, even maybe a, a, an agency of some sort mm-hmm. is is really is really interesting to have that conversation because that's the conversation Crave and I are having right now, and I'm having with other artists is where does this take us? I think one of the next things we really need to push ourselves is to continue doing interviews. I need to reach out to my network, to my connections, and yeah. start you know building that that bridge because um, graffiti is you know temporal. It gets painted over. Mm-hmm. The history is oral. If it's not captured and you know passed down, then it's lost forever. So I think that's probably one of the next transitions of El Fresco is to be a space that brings artists in for critiques, that interviews them, that you know maybe has a, some sort of channel, some sort of presence, giving tutorials. Yeah. You know, like what if I had like a Tip Tuesday and I show all the different spray tips, we bust them out and show kids what can control is. I mean, it would be a dream of mine to go to overseas Latin America, to go to Africa, to teach yeah. people how to paint. And realistically, they're probably not even going to get paint. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them have computers, or they have a computer in the village or in the local town. Mm-hmm. They have a printer. There's no reason why you can't teach them the arts, the digital arts, the Photoshop, mm-hmm. the photography skills. Because once they become computer literate, then the world is their oyster, literally. I mean, they can make bread off of it. They can communicate. Mm-hmm. They can exchange that information. They're not relegated to you know, whatever serfdom, to whatever you know, feel that they got to bust out and, you know, they can actually uplift themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think art can be the catalyst for that. So in the grand scheme of things, you know, I think El Fresco is just that. It's just a catalyst for the art movement in Miami. Mm-hmm. And any part that we can play, you know, we would be humbled and honored to do it. Um, and we're still going to keep pushing our own artwork and uh, our own, you know, vision for how we want to paint the community. Mm-hmm. That's it in a nutshell, that's, I think. That's what's up. So as far as, like, you mm. as an individual, um, what, like, what opportunity, like, I'm trying to say this, because you're into, like, you're, you're, you're a brand. Mm. So, um, and you're going to L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, this weekend. Um, are you open to do, you know, different, you know, types of businesses with, with people? Always, as as, like, always. Just, you know, just, you know, just building, like, your, your own thing. Like, even though that fresco is, like, your home. Precisely. But, you, but building up your own, your own thing, yo, your own brand. So maybe five, ten years from now, you have like your own, your own hub. Is that something that's in the, in the future? Absolutely. Um, what's his face? The homie from Virgin, Virgin Air, Virgin Mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his name is Branson or something, something like that. Um, he said something really, really poignant. I heard the other day on NPR on public radio. He said, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's, that's how I would describe myself. When people ask me, what is it exactly you do? I would say, first and foremost, I'm an artist because that's like, you know, kind of carries all the caveats. You could be like, yeah, I do business, I do that or whatever. But businessman's too simple for me. I'm an entrepreneur. And to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to always think about your business mm-hmm. as in who is going to take care of it next longevity. You can't always be running the shop. You're going to have a kid one day, you know, God willing, you're going to have, you know, a family, you're going to have a house to tend, mm-hmm. you have other things, and you want to give yourself the time. You want to make your bread, but you want the mm-hmm. autonomy to enjoy your bread. And um, that being said, yeah, absolutely, I'm always down to collaborate, and you always have to be willing to branch out and do something new. Yeah. Um, you always have to reinvent yourself. You know what they say, the next job, the job of tomorrow hasn't been invented yet, mm-hmm. so we're not going to know it until we're doing it. 
who would have thought, you know, taking photos on Instagram or uploading content onto YouTube would be a paying gig these days. Mm-hmm. But being a brand ambassador, being a content creator, that's real deal money. It's yeah. not it's not monopoly money. Because yeah, even with this whole with the podcast, it's it's it's, 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 it's like I'm I'm going through a, a new a new phase in my life, but it's like I'm reinventing myself at the same time. You know, like I'm you know I never even thought about seeing myself as like a media person. But, you know, going through the the different challenges where, you know, I'm trying to push this mistake or I, I want an interview for myself um, and want to promote my projects and stuff like that. You know, like I said in a few other episodes, like, it was hard. Like, you know, these bloggers, you know, shout out to all the bloggers and the media outlets platforms, but, you know, some of them are very you know, hungry for money, which I don't blame, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm trying to promote myself, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, like, I'm not gonna lie, I could be at fault too as well, because um, now I kind of understood the media aspect of why they trying to, you know, line up, you know, certain people always got to go ahead in front of other people. But it's like at the same time, it's like for me, I'm still gonna do work with the, with the person that reached out to me or the person that I reached out to. They may not have that much followers, but I still wanna, you know, interview them and stuff like that. Cause you can't. I remember my mom always tell me this: never, never. Um, it's like same thing as being open minded, but never um, leave a door closed. Always have that door open, like new opportunities, cause you never know. You know what I'm saying? You'll be surprised. The owner of a multi-band company probably want to have about three, four hundred followers because he want to be low-key, but you turn around, you go on his company page, he got about 22 million. You know, it it happens. (laughs) You know, I see it all the time, like, when I reach out to different, you know, people and stuff like that, like, you'll be surprised when you have someone that can have that many followers, but in reality, they don't have that network. Then you have a person that probably got like, you know, regular five to six hundred, but they have so much like network, they have so much of the people that you wanna, you know, attack. I'm talking about the media um aspect. So yeah, man, like I like you said, like you have to just you know, you have to pretty much elevate, you know, you can't be one thing I say too, you have to take that leap of faith, you can't be scared. Cause that's something I had to learn, you know this last past year, like from last year to now, like I got to learn, like, man, I'm just take, just fuck it, I'm gonna take a leap of faith. You know, because people worry about the money, you know, as we all do. All that money, success, all that stuff gonna come, you just have to take that risk. Precisely. You know what I'm saying? Couldn't agree with you more. Um, This sports business music, the podcast, and usually before the podcast started, you actually watched Formula One. Yes. And that's something different. Like, I had a um, shot at the Shanti. She, um, she played rugby. That was one of the different, you know. Rugby's dope. Yeah, it's dope. That's a it violent, rowdy sport. I, yeah, because I actually know someone who played it, you know. So, um, I watched a little bit of Formula One and a lot of NASCAR, but why, why do you like to watch it? Like, why do you love it? Uh, plain and simple, my old man. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's always been into racing, and that's something that him and I did growing up. 
It was sort of our father-son routine. So we'd go over to Homestead, mm-hmm. watch the Indy Grand Prix there. There used to be um, a Miami Grand Prix in downtown mm-hmm. where Bayside used to be. There used to be a track there. And so we would rent a hotel room right there, sometimes the Continental if we were going to floss, mm-hmm. and just watch the races. And so that was kart racing, K-A-R-T. It was another open they platform. Do, they don't do it no more? No. Yeah, they, I remember they did it a couple years ago. They did, they did one of the electric Grand Prix. I think it was yeah. like three, Formula 3000E or something like that. But yeah. um, the OG Miami Grand Prix track was like ill. It was, it was off the chain. I mean, they, they tried to bring it back, but it'll never be the same. I mean, if they do, I'll, I'll be there. For any, yeah. any electric ones, I'm out. Um, but kart racing actually dissolved. They, they merged with IndyCar. But we used to go to St. Petersburg on the west coast of Florida. Yeah. We would see the 12 hours of um, Sebring, which was like a 12-hour straight race. I don't know if you ever heard so of the 24-hour Le Mans. I heard about the actually be 12 hours. 12 hours. So OG way of doing it is actually all the racers, if this is like the line right here, mm-hmm. they all line up and mm-hmm. they run the track. Mm-hmm. And the first one into their whip gets to start and peace out mm-hmm. so you legit like arriving into your car winded after running with all of your racing gear hop in the car room 12 hours now rare is it there are some drivers but rare is it that a driver does the full 12 hours usually a team yeah. so usually when they go in for to get refuel up or get new tires or whatever another driver swaps in so it's like a tag it's like a pass a baton so okay. so drivers be napping on the sidelines you know getting rested up to do it uh it's not like you know rally car where there's you know the passenger is giving you the information. You don't you can't have more than one driver in it. You just have one driver at a time. Yeah, but that rally, shit is tight. Rally is, is more time, right? Time based. Yeah. It's all. It doesn't because did the it did, you're actually never gonna pretty much you're not gonna see another car in the rally course because mm-hmm. it really couldn't take it. You get into a major accident if that happened. Yeah. So it's all about who can make it from one segment to the other and then they time each other. I love rally car, but I've never seen one in person. Formula One though, it's just the pinnacle of motorsports mm-hmm. it literally like it the whole reason it was founded was to be like that top top level where if you're the champion of indy or the champion of nascar or the champion of formula 2000 or whatever of gt you can earn yourself a spot there and compete yeah. against the best and you have to get like a special formula one license a super license it costs like millions of dollars to get you have to get sponsors mm-hmm. i mean it's a rich man's sport like a lot yeah. of those other sports it's really a bunch of rich dudes like with money you know, throwing money at their toys and watching them go fast. I actually had the pleasure, I run an Airbnb and uh, a Formula One engineer was staying at our house. So I got to pick his brain behind the scenes and learn a little bit more. And one of the things they did say, he lamented the fact that, you know, as, a, as an outsider looking in, it looks like a lot of fun and, you know, you're gung-ho about it. And you, but when you're actually in the machine, you realize it's just like everything else. It's soulless capitalism. And, you know, it's all about the Skrilla. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that's always disappointing. And that's how the art game is. But you can't let any of that shit dissuade you. No. Because if you're really passionate, you know it's there. You just go with it. You know, you don't have to play that game. You have to play the whole game. But you don't have to be, you don't have to partake. You can choose as little or as much of that bullshit that you want to, you know, digest. Mm-hmm. So, but Formula One, I think it's amazing. Those guys are going, you know, 200 miles an hour, pulling G-forces, you know. On a street level course, I think I think it's the second most popular sport, soccer being the yeah. world's most. So it brings together a lot of people, poor, you know, old, rich, whatever, all different nationalities. So I, I'm I'm a huge fan. Uh, and growing up in a Latino household, it's it's a lot bigger in South America. Yeah. So that's that's one of the main reasons. But I had the pleasure of going to uh, a Grand Prix in Indianapolis when I was a jit, and then I went up to Canada to go see the Canadian Grand Prix. And when I get more bread, I'm, I'm out to, like, Montenegro or something like that. It's interesting because, um, you know, 
my short term goal is to be an agent. Mm. But like my long term goal, I wanna I wanna own. And I forgot the lady name, but she's like the first black owner to own a NASCAR team. Mm. And that's something you don't see in racing. Period. Yeah, you don't really see black owners. I mean NFL too. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like a lot of people don't realize racing is also in the you know the black communities. You know the Latin community. The world's best Formula One driver is black. Yeah, Alexander. You know, I, I, I didn't even know that. Lewis Hamilton. I didn't even know that, but like I'm talking about just black owned, you know, you know, Spanish owned, like like when I see people like in in in, in my community, like as minorities, I'm like that's that's powerful. You know, I want to do that one day soon. You know, just to to own like a, a, a team and stuff like that. You never know. You may get rich and we may be part owners. I'd be down for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, man. And um, one of the one of my favorite segments on the show is top five. You know, you being an artist, you know, I want to know who's in your top five as artists, I mm-hmm. guess, of all time. We also talk about music too, as well, like top five artists as music, but okay. I want to do um, artists first. So artists, uh, number one, probably has to be for me. Um, man, I'm, I'm going to go Carvaggio. Mm-hmm. Carvaggio, old school painter. Um, it's, he's just hyper-realistic. I love his use of colors. I'm, he's just a flawless painter that time after time I can always draw inspiration from. Number two, jump into more contemporary. There's a guy on the West Coast in San Francisco area. It goes by the name of Barry McGee. And his, uh, his moniker, his, uh, his writing name is Twist. T-W-I-S-T. And that dude was one of the first dudes that I ever saw do characters on walls. And he really pushed the limits of what a lot of people thought graffiti was until that point. Mm-hmm. So he's still doing, turning you know, shit up on its head and he's killing it. I really enjoy his work. Uh, another contemporary pair of artists, they're brothers actually, they're twins, and their name is Osgemios, which is uh, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese for twins. So they're based out of Brazil. I think they're out of Sao Paulo. I'm not 100% on that one. Um, they're amazing. I've seen them paint up in Wynwood. I love their characters. They have this really cartoon style that just pops. It's really fun and playful and just reminds me that art is supposed to be fun. You shouldn't really take it too, too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, you know, shout out to my man Crave, uh, put me on, just a hometown favorite. He's one of the most influential guys in my, uh, in my life. Um, and then to round it out, um, man, it's tough. It's always tough to, yeah. to choose some people. But I'm going to go with another local artist. Um, damn, uh, um, ah, Purvis Young. I was blanking on that. Purvis Young is an artist ba- who was who was based out of Overtown, mm-hmm. and he was a folk artist, and he was really well known for picking up trash off the side of the street and then painting on it. And he was a really eccentric, crazy dude. But um, I really dug his style, and I thought he was really influential. And he's someone that more people should know about, especially coming from Miami. Um, the fact that he was, you know. People with millions bought his artwork, but he still lived like in a trap in Overtown. Mm-hmm. It, is, it blows my mind. Some Someone that if people don't know. Per, yeah. yeah, Purvis Young, you got to look into him. He's a crazy dude. He was a crazy dude, but he was he was really a true artist. And then as far as musicians, number one, hands down, Curtis Mayfield. 
hundred percent. Um, number two, Eilie Brothers, because I'm a big proponent of like going back to people who inspired the music that I really grew up on. Yeah. Um, Outcasts. Of course. Uh, they were literally the first hip hop album I ever bought. It's like seven or eight, and Aquimini came out, and I was in Target with my mom. We were passing by the section. I saw the big explicit, you know, parental advisory. Mm-hmm. So I shoved it into the bottom of the cart. You know, they checked it out. As soon as the lady checked it, I grabbed it, put it in my back pocket. I ran home. I opened it up. Maybe it wasn't equipment. Maybe it been like the greatest hits. But I just remember when I opened up the CD case. Yeah. You got to Google. This is hilarious. So Andre 3000, right? Andre 3 Stacks, he's an artist too. So yeah. he draws. And he drew this like naked broad with like this huge double D like breasts hanging out and like some pubic hair like flowing in the wind. And she had clown face. Mm. And I was so like mesmerized and horrified at the same time being like a little kid. Like, I opened it, I closed it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I had it in like my sock drawer for a week before I bumped it for the first time. Yeah. And once I did, it was, it was magic. Um, then jump into some new shit. Obviously, I love my homie Skunk Ape Gang. Yeah, of course, shout out to them. Still looking for an interview for y'all. This is like 800 y'all. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's dope, it's dope, um, so those, those guys, I grew up with them, love them. Uh, another homie I had the pleasure, I actually went to high school with him briefly uh, before I graduated. I think he switched schools too. It was Denzel Curry. I really, really like that yeah, dude. You went to school? To I went to school. De- yeah, back, we were in 5,000 role models together. Yeah. And one of my favorite memories, if that dude ever hears this, he's going to laugh. I just remember we're on our way to the circus. Yeah. Um, and we were all in the back of the school bus and we we're freefing. And uh, I swear he was like a copy of like Busta Rhymes, like just like his flow at the yeah. time. He was just like staccato, just hitting it, just straight fire. And I just, I, I, I've always been weak. I'll never claim to be at all, at all proficient at freestyling or anything to do with emceeing. But um, it was just a pleasure to to free fit with him and to have a classic cipher. And I wish that kid the best. He was always a great homie. It's great to see him doing well. You know, I I still bump his music to this day. Yeah, yeah, still like have No, I last time I heard from him was actually he did like a appearance with Skunk Ape, and like we ran into each other very yeah. briefly. And this was years ago. I have honestly not kicked it with him in a long time, and we weren't like homies by any means, but we like, knew each cool, other. Yeah. We was cool. We dapped up. We did because he was a few years younger than me, so I don't remember if he was a freshman when I was a senior, or if he was a sophomore, but. Um, yeah, we were in 5,000 role models together, and, 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 and the school we went to was really small, so it wasn't that many people in, in that group. And I, I, did, I did the whole four years, so I get the scholarship. We mm. went up to Tallahassee or whatever, so that's how, that's how I ended up chilling with them more often than not. That's what's up. Well, I ain't going to ask you, what, what high school did you go to? Dash, Design and Architecture Senior I heard High. About that, yeah. I heard about it's a great public school. Um, any youngins listening should definitely apply. If you don't know anything about art, you know, come to El Fresco, look us up. We'd be more than happy to have you in our workshops. So, always down to educate the youth. Free, free, free promotion. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you can find us at uh, craveart.com. You can follow us at, at craveart on Instagram. Uh, our other website is El Fresco Miami, E L F R E S C O Miami.com. Also at El Fresco Miami for Instagram. But, um, yeah, one of the things that we're getting ready to do is a new promotion with um, PATH, Preserving, Archiving, uh, Teaching Hip-Hop. You can find them at pathtohiphop.org. They're getting ready to do a summer academy at the Arch Center. It's um, application only, so if you're a DJ or MC, you're a writer, you're a B-boy, B-girl, 
you got to go online, you got to make a video of yourself, and then you come in and you actually audition in front of a panel of world-renowned judges, some of the best in the industry, and they will teach you everything from how to market your skill, how to obviously learn the skill better, how to, how to craft your, or how to hone your craft. But most importantly, we have a network and a community of people who are hip-hop heads that want to see the culture thrive, that we're like-minded individuals, and we look out for each other. So, you know, hit us up. We, we love to have you. You know, we do private tours. We teach graffiti classes. We do workshops. You know, like I said in the beginning of the interview, anything that has to do with art, you need a logo, you need a website, you want a portrait of yourself, just come and show with us. We're happy to teach you. We're happy to help you. That's what we do. That's what's up. And before I close out the podcast, I always ask all my, my guests on the show, is uh, where you see yourself out of 10 years from now? Oh, um, my next move, I'd like to get a JD. Uh, I would love to, yeah, to have a law degree underneath my belt, maybe even do a dual JD MBA. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, we talked about how important knowledge is, and it transcends everything. Uh, but ideally, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to be probably setting down some roots, getting ready to have a family. I, I, I only see Alfresco growing. I only see my personal studio practice growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would definitely like to have my bona fide consultancy agency firm set up. You know, people can contact me. Um, hopefully educating, you know, maybe a side gig, teaching at one of the universities, or even just mm-hmm. continue like this. But most likely, school, and then I, I really want to focus on the family. I think that's really important to me. Yeah. Um, I think it's selfish, right? Anyone who wants to talk about having a family is just another version of you. But mm-hmm. um, that's probably realistically in five to ten years where I see myself staying here in Miami, getting that knowledge, mm-hmm. continuing Alfresco, continuing working with PATH, continuing building my own self. And hopefully you'll see, you know, Christopher Labora, LLC. You know, artists all all in one consultancy it's firm. Gonna, it's gonna happen, man. It's gonna happen. Advise and uh, create and uplift. Yeah, man, it's gonna happen, man. It's, it's definitely gonna happen. You're on the right track, man. Appreciate that. Um, any shout out? I know I already know you shout out, but you know, any shout outs before we close up? Man, I uh, just want to give thanks. Shout out to my girl. Shout out to my family. Uh, shout out, give thanks to the higher beings that are. Uh, uh, you know, I'm all about the spirituality tips. So, you know, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, everyone out there that's doing it, this 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 is for y'all. I, I appreciate anyone who supports us. I appreciate anyone who's tuning in. And again, you know, to those young kids who just want to know what's good, this is for y'all. So, you know, reach out. Us older cats, we're here to help. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about that. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, man, it's been a pleasure. Episode 29, um, you're going to have part twos and threes and fours. Um, I always joke around with... For my my guests, but I'm I be I be dead shit at the same time. Like when you blow up, make sure that I'm the <laughs> to be like the 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 media, whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Seinfeld said it best. Uh, this is another one for anyone who blows up and remembers me too. Never get too big to uh, you yeah. know not use your homies. You always got to use your homies. So don't ever get too big that you forget where you came from. And you know you know everyone has to do their own thing and everyone has their own journeys, but. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, make time for a postcard or a text message or show exactly. up to a barbecue. Yeah. It's a thought that counts. And remember, showing up, 90% of it. Exactly, man. Yeah, man, this be your boy, DJ Anonymous, with Sports Biz Music, the podcast with Christopher. Um, La Bora. La Bora. <laughs> Oye, man, La Bora. Uh, this has been uh, episode 29. Uh, don't forget that the podcast is on iTunes, Spotify. All Hot Radio, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, um, everywhere soon. Um, I'm going to be, I guess, accepting uh, ads. 
Um, if you have like a company or whatever, um, send me some ads to say over the podcast to uh, sportsbizmusic at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, um, this has been episode 29 and uh, we up.